It's July 14, 2019. In Houston, we have an MVP point guard, Muscle Westbrook, Russell Westwolf. The Brody is back with the beard. We're going to go across the lines with Dennis Rodman and Gold Dust. And hater appreciation for Officer Party Bro in Florida. Across the country and around the world, across the street and around the corner, this is Over the Culture. What's up, everybody? Welcome to the Over the Culture podcast, where you get to hear my spin on things I like, like music, sports, sports entertainment, movies, TV shows, and your mom. Seriously, I like your mom. How is your mom? Did you thank your mom for all the school clothes she got you? You also get to hear about things I don't like, like cops, Florida, and cops in Florida. What's up, everybody? I am your bastard of ceremonies, Pat Stay Black, Reefer Sutherland, your one gig kid, Steve G, and this is Over the Culture. So the Brody and the Beard are back. This past week, Houston Rockets get all-star point guard Russell Westwolf Westbrook. In exchange, OKC gets point guard Chris Paul, the 2021 pick swap, and the first round picks for 2024, 2025, and 2026. And they're saying that Chris Paul might not stay. He might get traded. Uh, It's possible that he could land in Los Angeles with LeBron and AD. Uh, And if so, that'll be crazy. So thankfully for Russell Westbrook, he was able to escape that sunken ship. And I'm excited for these Houston Rockets. I'm excited for Rockets fans. I'm looking forward to seeing them. And now they're probably the best backcourt. Actually, they they have to be the best backcourt in the league. Two MVPs in your backcourt at the one and the two. Golden State can't say that. Brooklyn can't say that. LA can't say that. So yeah, this is going to be great. The Beard and the Brody. West Wolf is looking forward to making it further in the playoffs now after getting three first rounds exits in the last three seasons. Even though Harden was traded in 2012 after they lost to the Miami Heat in the NBA Finals, him and Westbrook stayed close friends. Uh, you know, they their friendship goes back to when they were kids, even before college coming up in Los Angeles. Is this the final piece that Houston needs to get out of the West? Is this the final piece of the puzzle? I know they're not gonna be Golden State's bitch in the playoffs anymore. Nah, that's not gonna happen. Like Joe Pesci said in Goodfellas, I don't shine shoes no more. Not gonna be a shoe shine boy, Steph. Clay with a K. We don't shine shoes no more. I just know I want the season to start like yesterday. I'm out, man. That nigga's tripping. Today in sports history, in 1968, Hank Aaron hits his 500th home run off giant Mike McCormick. In 1974, Billy Martin is the first American League manager ejected from two games in one day. Billy Martin was a wild dude. In 1987, the Rookie of the Year Award is renamed to honor Jackie Robinson. In 1988, 
Mike Schmidt passes Mickey Mantle with his 537th home run in the seventh place. And in 1992, Ken Griffey Jr. is named the All-Star MVP. And that was my half fast sports report. So a couple of weeks ago, I was nominated for the official hip hop album challenge. And usually I don't partake in these social media hashtag trendy challenges, but this one was cool. The official hip hop challenge is where you post the cover of 10 of your favorite hip hop albums and you post one album cover per day. And I was nominated by my cousin Harvey. Shout out to Harvey, my Virgo brethren. Always cool, calm, collected. And he nominated me for the hip hop challenge. And these 10 albums are in no particular order, um, except for maybe the last two. The rest is, is kind of jumbled, but this is my, my 10 hip hop albums that I selected for the official hip hop challenge. So this first album, I, I kind of stumbled upon by accident and I was a seventh grader in Toledo on my way home from school on the city bus, on the, on the Tarta bus, which we rode at the time back in Toledo. and. It looks like someone left it behind. Uh, this album, it was a tape actually. Uh, this tape was on the floor and I was one of the last people left on the route to drop everybody off. So uh, with no one around to claim it, I, I just scooped it up. And at first I didn't know what it was because the titles that were smudged, it, it looked pretty worn, like it, like it was heavy in rotation, but I feel like this tape was left behind on the bus for a reason. I was supposed to have this tape. This tape was meant for me. Whoever initially had that tape, they got what they needed out of that tape. And then it was supposed to be left in good hands. And that was me. And this album is only built for Cuban Links by Raekwon of the Wu-Tang Clan. This album has features from every Wu member, including Capadonna. Classic RZA production. Classic bangers. Wu Gambinos. Incarcerated Scarfaces. Ice Cream. Verbal Intercourse. Featuring Nas. Which is the greatest cameo in any rap song. This wasn't a purple tape. I did get the purple tape. It was just a regular looking tape and the writing on it was smeared and I didn't realize who it was, what it was until I got back home and played it in my tape deck. This was the spring of 96. And when I got a hold of this tape, I took it everywhere with me. All throughout the summer of 96, it was my security blanket. When I went to bed, it was my lullaby. It was my Bye Bye Black Sheep. Mary Had a Little Lamb. It was my teddy bear. I took this tape with me like it was a Teddy Ruxpin. A My Buddy Dow. Instead of My Buddy, it was My Wu-Tang. 
I ate and drank that tape, only built for Cuban links for breakfast, lunch, and dinner. Only built for Cuban links was a motion picture, with Raekwon as the star of the show, Ghostface Killer with the cameo feature, and RZA was the director. Day two of the hip hop challenge. This album is probably the first hip hop album in my life that I said I absolutely must have. I wanna get behind this movement. The wave is too big, we're gonna need a bigger boat. This was spring of 92. And at this point we're living in Sandusky, me and my mom. And the yellow school bus would drop us off at my cousin's house. So I'd go to my cousin's house and on this particular day, we got home, turned on BET, and they're premiering the video for Jump by Crisscross. The first time I saw this video, I was enamored. It was like, wow, these guys are relatable. They're kids, I'm a kid, they're rapping. I like rap. When I finally got totally crossed out by Crisscross, their debut album, I probably played Jump a million times. Rewind it back, rewind it back. And then they also had Warm It Up, Chris. The way of rhyme, we're in the house. A real bad dream, it's a shame. Can't stop the bum rush. I miss the bus. I was in third grade at the time. And at the end of the school year, we had a talent show. So me and my little buddies, uh, we put together a group so we could perform Jump. And we performed Jump at the talent show, and for that four or five minutes, we were the coolest kids in all of Hancock Elementary. And my friend Wesley, who had the strength of a middle-aged man, he was a kid who could do amazing feats. He was our backup dancer, and he was doing backflips while we were performing Jump. And it was perfect. I wish I still had video recordings of this. Shout out to Wesley, wherever you are. day of the hip-hop challenge I selected an album that came out when I was in the fifth grade and at this point we're living in Columbus Ohio now uh, it came out late 93 and we were still riding the wave of the g-funk era um, by the chronic released by dr. Dre a year prior now it heavily features Snoop Dogg and America was in Snoop Dogg mania I know I was Every song that he was on, I had to hear it. I had to know every lyric that he said and recited word for word, verbatim. So when he came out with his album Doggy Style in 93, this was the first album that I knew every word from beginning to end, even the album cuts, all the radio singles, all the skits. And my mom at the time had this big record player entertainment system where it had two tape decks, one to play, one for record. It had an LP player for records, a place to keep your records, a place to keep your tapes. And it was huge, it had two big speakers attached to it. And it was in the living room. And I would be in the living room rewinding every song until I got every word right, every skit, until I got every word right. 
I wore a Snoop Dogg doggy style hockey jersey to school and I was in the fifth grade. I had another Snoop Dogg shirt that had his face taking up the whole t-shirt and I wore it in our class pictures. And still to this day, it looks like Snoop is in the picture with us, like he was one of our classmates. Doggy Style is one of those albums where just about every song is a radio release. Gin and Juice, Lottie Dottie, Murder Was The Case, Who Am I, What's My Name, Doggy Dog World, featuring the Dog Pound. I had to know all of these. Hip hop itself was in its teenage years, but I knew at the age of 10 that this album was going to be one of my favorite of all time. On the fourth day of the hip hop challenge, I selected an album that was released as I was wrapping up my freshman year at Perrysburg High School in Perrysburg, Ohio. Everyday Town USA, where they aim to please daddy, and mom's a bitch if she doesn't have my sandwich pack for lunch. Now I mentioned before how in the late 90s, rap was starting to become less authentic and more commercial. It was becoming more jiggy, shiny suit oriented. It was all about flossing. And I didn't really care for that. Everyone was starting to sound the same, talking about their money in their million dollar videos directed and produced by Hype Williams. When I first heard DMX, it was a breath of fresh air. It was different. It was like no other before or after. He would drop a guest verse on LL Cool J's 54321, which featured other Def Jam stars like Method Man and Red Man. He would be featured on songs with Locks, who were still signed with Bad Boy at the time. So when his album, It's Dark and Hell is Hot, was released, I was foaming at the mouth like a rabid dog. His content was different. His lyrics were different. His movement was different. His energy was different. It was new. It was different. It was something special. Rough Riders Anthem. Fucking with D. Look through my eyes. Get at me, dog. X is coming. Damien. Crime story. Stop being greedy. Niggas done started something. It's Dark and Hell is Hot was one of those albums that kept the Def Jam flag afloat in the 90s. For day five of the Hip Hop Challenge, I selected an album that was released when I was a little bit older as it was 2005 and I had recently graduated from Bowling Green State. I moved back to Sandusky, Ohio and this was a time when you'd see an influx of Houston rappers in the national spotlight. Lil Flip, Lil Kiki, Paul Wall, Chameleonaire, Slim Thug, Devin the Dude, Zero, Mike Jones, Trey. And it was during this time that Bun B would release his first solo album, Trill. So I'm back home in Sandusky after I graduate and because I'm pressed for cash, I pick up a paper route. Yeah, a fucking paper route after I graduated college. And I'm a 21 year old paper boy now. But every night when I wake up to get ready for my, my route, I'd make sure that Bun B's trill would be in the car. 
and that album would be the soundtrack to my paper routes in 2005. Draped up, I'm fresh, trill recognized trill, pushing what I represent, hold you down, I'm a G, and my favorite, get throwed. Free Pimp C campaign was in full effect, and Bun B let it be known that he could hold it down as a solo artist. For day six, I selected an album that came out at a perfect time in my life. It's 2004, and I'm a junior in college. Um, Outkast had just released Speaker Box and The Love Below. It's doing crazy numbers. Jigga just released Black Album. It's doing crazy numbers. The Dipset movement is going. The G-Unit movement is going. But in February of 2004, when Kanye West released his debut album, College Dropout, I felt like he was talking directly to me. Here I was, a full-time student working a part-time job at some ratty chicken wing spot listening to a guy talk about his trials and tribulations of being a college dropout, working a part-time job. This album was very influential to me because Kanye West proved that you can put out a great hip-hop album, you can be a great rapper while being black from middle-class America, without having a gangster background, without having a drug dealer background. You don't have to rap about guns and killing people and fucking bitches. You can rap about things that you relate to and that possibly other people can relate to. Spaceship, he talks about working in retail and how frustrating it is with the hope of maybe one day somebody or something can take him away from all the fucking bullshit. Slow Jams with Twista and Jamie Foxx. He showcases his, his knack for using classic samples in his beats definitely inspired by RZA. I felt like Kanye represented me, a black kid from middle-class America who likes rap but never gangbang. Man, that Kanye West represented me. And I wish he'd come back. album I selected for day seven of the hip-hop challenge was the soundtrack from my summer of 2000. I was working at Cedar Point for the summer, making it my third summer in a row, working at the same place, the Chuck Wagon Inn, located in the back of the park. The route to get to Cedar Point is a scenic route because you're driving along the causeway and on each side of the causeway is Lake Erie. And as I'm driving to Cedar Point every morning to work, what am I bumping in my grandparents' cutlass? The Marshall Mathers LP by Eminem. This was his second release after signing with Aftermath. And Wu-Tang made me want to rap, but this album made me want to rap like that. His rhyme scheme was so intricate and there would be rhymes within rhymes. I sit back with this pack of zigzags in this bag of this weed. It gets me the shit needed to be the most meanest MC on this, on this earth. And it's just, oh my God, how was he doing that? I want to know how I can do that. And I spun that album all summer of 2000. And I'm pretty sure it got scratched up 
because I played it that much. It got heavy rotation in my grandparents' cutlass. The Marshall Mathers LP was a big deal at the time. It won a Grammy, got nominated for some more Grammys, caused some controversy, pissed off the gays, made it all good when he performed with Elton John afterwards. But Marshall Mathers LP, one of the most impactful albums in hip hop for me. By the time album eight of the Hip Hop Challenge was released, I was living in Houston, Texas. I remember it being a dry summer in 2008 and we were dreading the arrival of Hurricane Ike. We were on the last legs of Bush Jr.'s term, his second term, and there were whispers of us possibly having our first black president. Hurricane came and left the city in shambles, leaving a lot of us without electricity. There were lines wrapped around the gas stations, down the street, and by the time you got to get the gas, there's no telling if they would even have gas. I would see abandoned horses in the middle of the road, bloated, due to starvation from the dry spells afterward. Houston was on a curfew and it was like a ghost town. It was a depressing time. But the album that got me through was Nas's untitled album. The popular opinion vote is that Illmatic is his greatest album. But even though I do love that album, Untitled is my favorite Nas album because it has sentimental value. When I listened to it, it took me to another place where I didn't have to deal with the stuff I was currently dealing with. Not having lights, not having a TV to watch, not having gas, not knowing how I could get gas in my car. Dealing with the hot heat. That same year, he had a stop in Houston to promote his untitled album. And it was the greatest concert I'd ever been to. The audience was a true melting pot. It was a mix of black, brown, white, yellow, gold, bronze. It was a beautiful thing. We were all united in the name of hip hop. And to see Nazir Jones. For day nine of the Hip Hop Challenge, I selected an album that came out my freshman year in Bowling Green. Only a few weeks into the school year, I remember one day me and my roommate got a phone call in our dorm room and it was some random guy we still don't know who it was to this day but he only called to say hey we're under attack some planes just crashed into the world trade center in new york and now they're heading into dc and he hung up so from that point on me and my roommate stayed up the whole day like what the fuck? the country was on edge we didn't know how to think what to think how to feel if they were able to do that in New York, who's to think they wouldn't come to buttfucking Egypt and crash into one of our buildings? Thought a lot of the people on campus. The terror alert was on dark orange, orange, red, dark red, magenta. And it had us in a fray for years afterwards. But also on that day, on September 11, 2001, Jay-Z would release the blueprint. And this 17-year-old, who would be 18 that following week, was in awe. 
solid production from Kanye West, Just Blaze, Timbaland, solid lyricism from Jay-Z, Sean Carter himself, and the only feature was Eminem in Renegades, where a lot of people say he took over the show from Jay-Z, and who does that to Jay-Z? But Blueprint 1 is solid from beginning to end. H to the Izzo, Girls, 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 Jigga That Nigga, Song Cry. Man, at this point, I had my mind made up. Jay-Z is the GOAT. So on the 10th and final day of the Hip Hop Challenge, I selected something that I, I knew this had to be my favorite hip hop album ever. I had to save the best for last. This album came out as I was going into my freshman year in high school. Tupac just died. Biggie just died. Hip hop died? I thought. I feared. But in summer of 97, Wu-Tang Clan dropped Wu-Tang Forever and my world was never the same again. After the intro skit, Jizza sets off the album like a true ninja MC in the song Reunited. Reunited, double LP, world excited, struck a match to the underground, industry ignited. In an era of hip-hop double albums, All Eyes on Me, Life After Death, Lost, The Art of War, Wu-Tang releases their double album. And I made sure I knew every word on every song on both albums. I remember summer of 97, I was out with my cousin and his friends and each person would be assigned a verse. Who's gonna be Method Man? Who's gonna do Jizz part? Who's gonna do Inspector Deck? Who's gonna do Raekwon's part? I couldn't wait for my turn to come up because I want to show him I know every word. I'm gonna hold it down. Triumph. Triumph was the song. And Inspector Deck kicks it off. I bomb atomically. Socrates, I'm sure you've heard it. You know the rest. Monumental song for a monumental album. Heaven's sake, cash still rules, scary hours, visions, it's yours. Black shampoo, severe punishment, the older gods. There's so much gold on this platinum, multi-platinum album. I felt like it was fair representation from each Wu member. The people that you didn't hear in the first album, like You Got and Master Killer, they had more of a presence on this album. When they went on tour to promote this album, they hit the road with Rage Against the Machine. That's how I found out about Rage Against the Machine, which opened up a whole nother panel of music for me. Wu-Tang Forever is the GOAT of hip-hop albums. Those were the 10 most influential hip hop albums in my life. When we come back, we're gonna go across the lines with Dennis Rodman and Gold Dust. We'll be black after these messages. Today's birthdays. Happy birthday, mixed martial artist Conor McGregor, he turns 31. Darrell Rivas, former NFL cornerback, turns 34. Former NBA player Eric Dampierre turns 45. Hall of Fame wrestler Jeff Jarrett turns 51. 
That's J-A-R-R-E-T-T. Jackie Earl Haley, American actor, turns 58. And he also has the name of a terrorist. I'm not saying he's killed people, but he does have the name of a terrorist. Like Lee Harvey Oswald, James Earl Ray, John Wilkes Booth, George W. Bush. Actress and game show host Jane Lynch turns 59. Kyle Gass, musician, actor, one half of the duo Tenacious D turns 59. Me and my buddies listened to a lot of Tenacious D back in the day. One of the greatest comedic duos and rock duos. They rock. Rock on Kyle Gass. Music businessman Tommy Mottola, he turns 70. Rosie Greer, American football player and actor, former Miami Dolphin, he turns 87. Happy birthday, guys. What happens when you move all the black and brown people out of the neighborhood and replace them with urban, professionally-minded, 30-something Caucasians? What's up, bro? Do you vape? Tight, homie. Want to join my fantasy league? From the producers of Job Discrimination Disco, Fox presents a new reality show that's guaranteed to keep the property value rising. Gentrification, this fall on Fox. And a special mention to those no longer with us, Robert Zildjian, the founder of Sabian Symbols, born July 14, 1923, his brand Sabian Symbols is the second largest manufacturer of symbols in the world. Zildjian died March 28, 2013 at his home in Brunswick, Maine at the age of 89 after a battle with cancer. And William Hanna, animator, director, producer, voice actor, cartoon artist and musician, one half of Hanna-Barbera, born July 14, 1910. He was one of the key pioneers to bring cartoons to television. And I'm, I'm reading his wiki, and something I didn't realize about Hanna-Barbera cartoons is that they have a recurring theme of friendship and shows uh, partnership values, the dynamics of partnership. Like Tom and Jerry, Dick Dasterly and Muttley, Yogi Bear and Boo Boo, Fred Flintstone and Barney Rubble, Wilma Flintstone and Betty Rubble, Shaggy and Scooby. Thank you, Hannah, William Hannah. Thank you guys for the memories. Rolling down I-75. <laughs> I'm all about my pockets, trick, call me Papadopoulos I'm on my way to Magic City, flying to Metropolis On top of this, I'm talking shit, blowing on some chocolate Your flow just be the opposite, so watch how I demolish this Build it up and polish it, acknowledge all my knowledge The word around town is that my mind is like a hollow tip Hottest shit, be honest shit, I don't know is how it gets When trails get blazed, them younger niggas wanna follow it L's get blazed like old heads wanna politic Talk about life and getting raised up in the 
mix Don't let me take you back to 86 When I was taking baby shits Now we make your lady stiff All up in the brain It's the sand times Finest hitter Elevate the game I can't remember The same as obsolete in late December But it's the middle of June And my mood is mighty sinister I got a couple loaded tricks on my sleeve That's if I play them right Houston tomorrow San Diego the next night Gotta get some rest in the cut Let's get my stress slice Like a six dollar large I'm in charge casually in just fire Got my dome together And I'm on whatever West Toledo, Mopey Steve Yeah, we roll together Winter, spring, or fall Got the East and beat them all Homeboys, yeah, this is folk music Where's Peter Paul? And Mary, quite contrary Gotta get an eagle on Ain't no point in singing I'm the shit, I only pee in John's Hopefully on a flight Back and forth to Shangri-La The six a lot They got the la-la spots And the badass hoes Designer clothes Who rock ID dies Traveling, being crawl Focus, fostering a haircut Square cut Paint a picture Let it airbrush Head of the mommy Reflect eternally Like Quali Known to move a crowd Of fly females Than alcoholics Who wanna call me on it Like they get part about it I drop a record In the streets They wanna talk about it Light up they whole face Rip up your face Facebook. You step in my space and get your butt whooped I'm in these great lakes, giving off a mass appeal Making crowds put their hands up like a tornado drill Just cause my flow is ill, could use an Advil I'm rhyming mad libs, now put your hands up. I'm the captain of the ship, I'm the chain without the bar Stupid is what stupid does, but I guess stupid gets you far Yo, shout out to William Hanna, one half of that Hanna-Barbera tandem, man. Y'all used to get me right back in the summertime, man. Y'all like the Jordan and Pippin of this cartoon shit. Dropping all those classics over the years, like the Smurfs, feel me? Secret Squirrel, Quick Draw McGraw, Pac-Man, McGilla Gorilla, Johnny Quest, Johnny Bravo, Jetsons, Jabberjaw, Huckleberry Hound, Hong Kong Fooey, Yogi Bear, Wacky Races, Tomcat, Tom and Jerry, Space Ghost, Flintstones, Dexter's Laboratory, Captain Planet, Captain Caveman, Scooby-Doo, man, y'all was just the shit, dog. William Hannah, man, keep rocking on, keep rocking on. In March of 1996, the World Wrestling Federation presented its 12th edition of WrestleMania in Anaheim, California. The event would see the company's first 60-minute Ironman match featuring Bret Hart and Shawn Michaels, the return of the Ultimate Warrior, as well as the return of Rowdy Roddy Piper to the ring in his first match since 1994. He would compete in a Hollywood backlot brawl. His opponent would be Goldust a bizarre individual who plays mind games through in-ring psychology to his advantage. Often flirtatious with his opponents, he uses such tactics as groping, showing sexually suggestive affection, causing his opponents to become enraged or distracted. That same month, the Chicago Bulls are finishing a record-setting season of 72 wins and 10 losses, but for six games, they'll be without their star power forward, Dennis Rodman, after he headbutts referee Ted Bernhardt in a game against New Jersey. And that leads us to across the lines. He would step across the line. Habitually. He's a habitual line stepper. Line stepper. Rodman would return in April, 
and the Bulls would win seven of the remaining eight games as well as that season's championship against the Seattle Supersonics, making it Dennis Rodman's third NBA championship. Dennis Keith Rodman was born May 13, 1961 in Trenton, New Jersey. Him and his family would eventually move to the Oak Cliff section of Dallas, which was at one point considered one of the most impoverished areas of the city. Growing up as the only male of the house living with his mother Shirley and his two older sisters Deborah and Kim, Rodman would later state that he would feel overwhelmed by the all-female household at times. Even on the basketball court, he would get laughed at whenever he tagged along with his sisters, who were stars in their own right. They would go on to be All-American players at their respective schools, with Kim attending Stephen F. Austin and his sister Deborah attending Louisiana Tech, where she would win two national titles. Dennis Rodman had somewhat of a non-traditional path to get to the NBA. After high school, Dennis would work as an overnight janitor at the Dallas airport. It was then that he had a growth spurt, and a friend of his tipped him off to head coach at the Cook County College, which is now North Central Texas College. In his only semester there, he averaged 17 points and 13 rebounds. He would then transfer to Southeastern Oklahoma State University, where he would become a three-time NAIA All-American, garnering attention from the NBA scouts. Dennis Rodman was drafted by the Detroit Pistons in the 1986 NBA Draft. While in Detroit, he would earn two NBA championships, two All-Star appearances, and two Defensive Player of the Year awards. Dustin Patrick Runnels was born April 11, 1969 in Austin, Texas. He is the son of Hall of Fame wrestler, the American Dream, Dustin Rhodes. He followed his father's footsteps, making his in-ring debut on September 13, 1988 as Dustin Rhodes with Championship Wrestling from Florida. He would spin short stints in World Championship Wrestling, All Japan Pro Wrestling, United States Wrestling Association, the World Wrestling Federation, and back to WCW in 1991. But it wasn't until August of 1995 when he'd make his debut as Goldust, no longer a fan favorite, but the villain. Out was the cowboy boots and traditional wrestling tights that his dad would wear, but in with the gold face paint and patent leather with feathers. No more was he straight-laced and crowd-pleasing, but more androgynous, patterning himself as a crude Oscar award. His match with Roddy Piper in WrestleMania 12 was mostly a taped segment filmed at a movie studio lot. Goldust was defending his first Intercontinental Championship title, which he had won in that year's Royal Rumble against Razor Ramon. He arrives to the lot in his all-gold Cadillac, where he's met by Piper holding a fire hose, who wets up the place. At one point, Goldust gets back in his caddy, and Piper goes into his white Ford Bronco as they go on a low-speed chase in LA. Sound familiar? Topical humor from two years ago. Eventually, both of their cars arrive at the arena where the Hot Rod wins the match. He would then embarrass Goldust by depancing him in front of the crowd, revealing that Goldust is wearing a bustier. That same year at the Chicago book signing for his biography, Bad As I Wanna Be, Dennis Rodman attended the event wearing a blonde wig and a bridal gown, admitting that sometimes he likes wearing women's clothing. After years of struggling with his identity, it's during his two-year stint with the San Antonio Spurs when he came to the revelation of embracing his dark side and becoming a bad boy poster child for the league. No longer the shy, introverted wallflower of the team, but now a more freer and outspoken pariah who was hard to miss. Dennis Rodman was becoming must-see TV. You never knew what you'd get. You never knew who he'd hit. 
You never knew who he'd headbutt or kick, what he'd say, or what the color of his hair would be. He would appear in commercials, TV shows, and even on Oprah's couch. He even joined the wrestling universe himself when he teamed up with Hollywood Hogan in the NWO in March of 97, under the name Rodzilla. Already being known by basketball fans as a respected defensive player, but now known by pop culturists outside of the world of sports. Dennis would win two more championships with the Bulls before going to Los Angeles and Dallas, ending his NBA career in the 1999-2000 season. In 2011, he was inducted into the Basketball Hall of Fame. Despite being named the most embarrassing wrestler as well as the worst gimmick by the Wrestling Observer Newsletter, Dustin Runnels and his Goldust character have stood the test of time. Most of his 30 plus year career, which is still active, was primarily done performing as Goldust. Under the Gold Dust moniker, he would win nine hardcore titles, three WWF Intercontinental titles, and three tag team titles. And this year, he would join his brother Cody Rhodes in the upstart company All Elite Wrestling, continuing his career at the age of 50. Dennis and Gold Dust, the Dust and Dennis, two colorful personalities who accurately reflect an era when the taboo was becoming less taboo. Both great performers in their field, seeing varying levels of success throughout most of their career, even before their image makeover. Dustin Runnels was a United States champ, a tag team champ, and even a heavyweight champ at some of those companies early in his career before he even came to World Wrestling Federation. But it wasn't until his Goldust character, when he started to get a real reaction from the fans, for better or worse, whether they booed him, or loved him, or even laughed at him somewhat of a polarizing figure for his time, mysterious, something we hadn't quite seen before. Being accompanied by his valet, Marlena, played by his wife at the time, Terry Runnels, sometimes wearing a wig to the ring. Dennis Rodman was already a defensive player of the year, winning rebounding titles, was already an all-star, already won two rings with the Detroit Pistons early in his career. But it wasn't until he became Dennis the Menace Rodman when the book deals came in, where sometimes he would wear a wig at his book signings, as well as the high-profile relationships with Madonna, of all people, and Carmen Electra. This is also the time when Dennis implements mind games into his repertoire, taking his opponents out of the game mentally and physically. Players like Shaquille O'Neal, Alonzo Mourning, Carl Malone, Larry Johnson, and even getting his assignment for the 96 Finals, Frank Burkowski ejected from a game in the series. Goldust would use in-ring psychology to get the best of his opponents, some of the toughest performers of their time, like Razor Ramon, Ultimate Warrior, Mankind, Undertaker, Vader, and even Hunter Hearst Helmsley. But don't let the androgynous appeal, the effeminate approach mislead you. You try them on the wrong day, you can be opening up a whole nother can of worms. See what I did there? Goldust has a move called Shattered Dreams, where his opponent is in the corner with his legs wrapped around the ropes, only for Goldust to back up, position himself like Adam Vinatieri, and proceed to give them a swift kick in the Jimmy Johnson. Dennis Rodman has a move where he battles Kevin Garnett for a rebound, falls out of bounds, and swiftly kicks a cameraman in the groin like he did in January of 97, receiving a $25,000 fine by the NBA, an 11-game suspension without pay, which cost him up to $1 million. Dennis and Goldust, Goldust and Dennis, in today's social climate, they could never exist. In today's NBA, you can't even hand check. 
let alone kick a cameraman in the groin or headbutt a referee. If you did, you'd be blackballed from the league eternally. If there was a wrestler who did half of the stuff Goldust did back then, today, the LGBT, BBD, the BLT, and the McRib would have Vince issue a public apology or else have his company banished from cable television program. But they entered our minds and our homes and populated our TV screens at a ripe time. Even though they tended to toe the line, they stayed in their lane of mystery. One grew up in a household of basketball players. The other grew up in a house of professional wrestling. Either way, they were groomed for this. They were trained for this. They were destined to be great. Goldust, Dennis Rodman, Thank you for the memories. And that was Across the Lines. Today in entertainment history, in 1968, WSWO-TV Channel 26, which is the ABC affiliate for Springfield, Ohio, begins broadcasting. Ohio! In 1969, Easy Rider, directed by Dennis Hopper, starring himself, Peter Fonda, and Jack Nicholson is released. In 1992, actress Nell Carter undergoes brain surgery. She would later die January 23, 2003, after passing out in her Beverly Hills home. And in 2008, The Dark Knight, directed by Christopher Nolan, starring Christian Bale and Heath Ledger, premieres in New York. Now this portion of the show is where we show appreciation to our haters. Hi haters. I hate your guts! Man of Florida strikes again. According to the Washington Post, Benjamin Bowling couldn't figure it out. He had been clean ever since his release from prison on a DUI conviction, but now a Jackson County, Florida sheriff's deputy was accusing him of possessing a minuscule amount of methamphetamine. It was October 2017, and Bowling was on his way to the store to pick up diapers with his friend Shelly Smith when they saw the flashing light swirl in the rearview mirror. He had been out of prison for less than a year, doing everything he could to get his life back on track. He passed all his drug tests. He had recently been awarded custody of his daughter, but Deputy Zachary Wester was escalating a traffic stop for swerving over a white line into a search for illicit drugs. Bowling and Smith, confident they had nothing to hide, told Wester to go ahead and search the car after he claimed to smell marijuana, assuring him he wouldn't find any. He emerged with meth. Now, nearly two years after Bowling lost custody of the daughter he had just gotten back, after he was convicted of felony meth possession, he knows exactly how it got there. Wester, state investigators now say, planted it himself, and Bowling was far from the only victim. Wester, who was fired last September, was arrested Wednesday and charged with 52 counts of racketeering, false imprisonment, official misconduct, fabricating evidence, and possession of controlled substances, among other charges. He's accused of indiscriminately targeting innocent drivers and hauling them off to jail after planting meth or marijuana in their vehicles while feigning a search. There is no question that Wester's crimes were deliberate and that his actions put innocent people in jail. Chris Williams, a Florida Department of Law Enforcement Assistant Special Agent in Charge said in a news release, Bowling, who has since been cleared, is just one of 11 known victims named in the affidavit, 
although the Florida Department of Law Enforcement said Wednesday that there may be more victims who have not yet been identified, and the case remains under investigation. At least 119 cases involving Wester have been dropped, the Tallahassee Democrat reported. In addition to the drop charges, Circuit Judge Christopher Patterson ordered at least eight inmates released from correctional facilities last fall as 263 cases remained under review. Investigators said at a news conference Wednesday that there did not appear to be any rhyme or reasons the driver's Wester, 26, singled out for false arrest on drug possession. Some were parents with a diaper bag in the back seat. Others were young men and women, some crying as they insisted they had never touched drugs, let alone meth in their lives. Asked by reporters why Wester would do this, the state attorney William Bill Eddins said that it was a good question. Investigators were still trying to figure it out themselves, he said. Never certain of what lies in the heart of a man, he said. Eddins said he does not plan to offer a plea bargain and that Wester faces up to 30 years in prison. Wester's defense attorney could not immediately be reached for comment. You know, people always say that cops just want to make it home at the end of the workday. But you know who else does? I do. He does. She does. And they do too. And this person and that person and them and them and them too. I like to make it home every day in one piece without getting a ticket for attempted jaywalking, without having meth planted in my car. Especially considering the fact that I don't do meth. I don't know anyone who does meth. But Deputy Dingleberry clearly does. He's well connected in these streets. He knows where it's at. He's got the plan. He's like a one-stop shop. Selling bullshit tickets and party favors. Out of his trunk. Want a ticket for a bullshit charge? I got you. Two over the speed limit. I got you. Broken taillight, I got you. Driving while black, I got you. Driving while brown, I got you. And I also sell meth and weed, bro. Even if you don't do it, I'm gonna be a little slick, puss ass of a cop. And plant it on you when you're not looking. Cause I gotta run that quota up. I gotta get that quota. So Sergeant PP Nuts can put a red sticker next to my name on the refrigerator. According to the affidavit, meth, marijuana, and 42 pieces of drug paraphernalia were found in Zachary Wester's trunk that he just had stashed away for a rainy day. Just saving up so we can get that big paycheck one day. In the meantime, making lives miserable. Making parents lose custody of their children because of bullshit charges. Hey, no need to do drugs because I'll bring the party to you. Officer Party Bro. It was reported that Wester's body cam would turn off and on during searches, and mainly it would turn on when he would find the drugs on someone's car. So now his body will be turning on his cellmate Twan, who just happens to love Billy Ray looking hillbillies from Florida. Even the prosecutor herself noticed that Zachary Quota Boy Wester had an unusually high number of drug arrests every month. What is this? He's that connected in the streets. He knows where it's at all the time, every time. 
She felt like his name was on half of the cases. Was this like fucking Uber Eats, DoorDash? He knows where the hot spots are. But no one else better than I. So since Zachary Ty Wester wants to be a fucking star, he wants to be known, we're gonna shine a little bit more light on him now. When he worked for Liberty County Sheriff's Office, he left the agency after it was determined he had inappropriate relationships with multiple women, including a confidential informant arrested for methamphetamine. That seems to be his thing, planting meth on people. When deputy said Wester had an affair with his wife and then showed her nude photos to members of the department, another woman said she and Wester had a relationship after he arrested her for shoplifting. Her boyfriend called the department to lodge a complaint. A convenience store employee said she received unwanted advances from the married deputy when he flirted with her during a call. It's a small county. People talk. There was enough of it that it concerned me, and I didn't want this guy around, former Liberty County Sheriff Nick Finch said. Zachary Fuckface Wester, you are a reminder that there are still too many shitty cops out there harassing the innocent, framing the innocent, arresting the innocent, caging the innocent. And this is also a reminder that even though there are some, some good cops, those so-called quote-unquote good cops are still staying hush-hush when it comes to their line of work from the bullshit that they see every day. So those so-called good cops are just as bad. It's also a reminder that my motto is still fuck cops. So-called good ones too. Thank you, fuck you. Fuck you, fuck you, fuck you. You're cool. And fuck you, I'm out. So that wraps up another edition of Over the Culture. I hope you enjoyed it. It's hot as hell this summer. So when you bathe, make sure you cover everything. Get the back of those kneecaps. Wash that belly button. Don't have it smelling like earring backs. Wash your whole ass. Wash your asshole. And Zachary Wester, don't drop the soap, Because when your wife smokes all your marijuana and blows through your mustache, she just might miss your punk ass. Alright, y'all be cool. Land a bottle of a sky.